Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our Protect Our Province COVID-19 briefing for October 27th, 2021. We are live streaming from the traditional and ancestral territory of many people. We are grateful to live and work in Alberta, a province on the traditional and ancestral territory of 48 different First Nations and the unceded homeland of the Métis Nation. Today's conversation is being shared in ASL. To ensure access to completely accurate information, closed captioning will be uploaded after the live stream is complete. This conversation for the public is being shared live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. The Protect Our Province COVID-19 briefing is a regular panel of doctors and experts. We will endeavor to bring timely, accurate updates on the COVID-19 crisis in Alberta and take questions from the media. The views of our panelists are their own and do not represent any institutions they may be affiliated with. We have collectively gathered here as concerned Albertans attempting to ensure that everyone in the province has access to as much information concerning COVID-19 in Alberta as possible. As always, we will start things off with a brief update on COVID-19. Thank you everyone for joining us once again. As usual, I will turn things over to Dr. Vipont for his analysis of COVID-19 over the last week in Alberta. Dr. Vipont. Hey everybody, it's uh, it's Joe here. It's actually not going to be much of an update, I must confess. I'm on my way to the uh, airport to attend the COP conference with my amazing daughter, Sadie, who's in the back. I hope you can see her. Hi. And uh, the co-chair of the Calgary Climate Hub, uh, Joan Lawrence, is driving me, and so it's a it's a it's a in, a in an electric car, I must add, although it's not going to be an electric plane, unfortunately. But we're doing our best. Um, I did take a quick look at the numbers this morning or just now. Uh, I hope that you can still hear me. Um, cases per day um, continue to drop, uh, six forty-seven, and that's down from somewhere in the seven hundreds last week. Um, 810 in the hospital, which is a drop from last, uh, from, from yesterday. There was a strange double day increase in the inpatients on Monday, Tuesday, I guess it would be Sunday, Monday. And, um, and that's continued to drop today, which is good. I see you up one today to 800, uh, 184. And of course the, the ongoing tragedy of 10 deaths, um, including somebody in their thirties and, um, and three in their 50s. And so as somebody in their 50s with a comorbid condition, um, I uh, I think a lot about that. So um, that's my very brief update. Uh, it looks like you guys are on the right trend, Alberta. I'm so, uh, so happy to be leaving the province in, in a good state. And I hope I return it to it in a good state. And I'm going to the, the dreaded land of the UK where they've lost all sanity. I'm going to be wearing my my very well-fitting N95 mask. My daughter has an N99 mask on in the back and we're going to be doing our very darndest to be safe because gosh forbid we've gotten through this far and, and get COVID trying to save the world at a climate conference in, uh, in a place as, as damaged as the UK is right now. So that is it. I turn it back to you, uh, Michelle. Thanks for having me on for this brief little update. Travel safe. We wish you well. And yes, climate emergency. Make it better. Talk to you soon. Um, as we move into today's topic, um, we are joined by some of the co some of the core members of Protect Our Province Alberta. We're going to be talking about vaccines in humans aged five to eleven. Um, we're going to look at schools, talk about the medicine, and explore how to register and what we do know about registering your five to eleven year olds for vaccination in Alberta. Um, as I'm sure many of you know, Health Canada is currently reviewing the Pfizer BioNTech's request to approve its vaccine for five to 11-year-olds. And on Tuesday in the States, the FDA voted to approve the use of the vaccine for tiny humans in that age range. And so now we are just waiting on Health Canada for those of us north of the border. Early data is suggesting that the vaccine is 90.7% effective in 
preventing symptomatic COVID-19 in children of that age range, which is very exciting. And additionally, Moderna said on Monday that its vaccine is showing a strong immune response in elementary age children, and it is planning to submit to global regulators very soon. So there's a lot to talk about and a lot to be hopeful about as we move closer towards Christmas and then into 2022. So to begin our conversation on COVID-19 vaccines in Alberta elementary aged citizens um, and how parents can access it and why it is essential for our tiny humans to safely regain more of their pre-pandemic activities. We are going to begin by looking at what has been happening in schools over the last few weeks so we can start that conversation of why this could be very positive news. So I am thrilled to welcome back Dr. Wing Lee, um, the Support Our Students Communications Director. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee, for coming back today to be here as always. Um, although sometimes it was more dire than right now. So I do have some uh, pleasant trends to report in schools for now. Uh, if I can get my slides up, that would be much appreciated. So on October 6th, uh, if we go all the way back, it seems like this month has flown by and also taken a long time. Uh, paradox of the pandemic. In, uh, on October 6th, the government of Alberta published their own list uh, of co uh, schools on alert or outbreak. So they changed their outbreak definition as of October 6th from previously was 10% of the school absent. And now we're operating under outbreak is 10 positive cases of COVID-19 confirmed or greater as an outbreak. On their list. So I've only shown here starting October 6th and as you can see we have been trending downwards in all three categories of alert which is two to four cases, uh, alert tier two I guess five to nine cases in the school and you see here our outbreaks took a drastic uh, drop over Thanksgiving. We don't know if that is you know due to some of the uh, implementations that occurred uh, in early October, but we have been seeing just a couple of schools across the province uh, in outbreak status with 10 or more cases. We have seen a few classes go online. So the new criteria is when there are three or more positive cases within one classroom, uh, the latest CMOH order, um, uh, mandates that that class go online until the lift date. So all students are required to isolate if that happens to be their classroom, whether they test positive or not, and they can only return to school and other activities uh, as per the lift date. So we are trending in the, in the right direction and hopefully this will continue and we actually keep cases very, very low. Right now, in comparison, we're looking at school cases uh, that are around what we had in June of 2021 and also in January of 2021. So let's make sure that this government doesn't reopen schools before uh, 5 to 11 can access vaccines as they've been known to be uh, excessively happy too soon about seeing uh, positive trends, although we're not exactly out of the clear yet. Next slide, please. And this is just from the government of Alberta. So we don't know if this is like all pertaining to schools, but we still see that uh, for the age group five to 11, they're still the higher uh, rate uh, per 100,000 in terms of COVID-19 cases. So we are going downwards and we need to continue and ensure that we have students that can finish the semester strong uh, and be protected against Delta. And we will continue to report um, on our SOS website as the semester continues. That's all for me for now, thank you.
you think that, but I'm leaving you up to stay part oh. of our panel conversation. So it's not actually all for you now. Um, we're going to deviate from our regular format a little bit. I'm going to bring the rest of our panelists into the conversation right now so we can get straight on to some questions. And then the last few minutes of our time together, we will move over to discussing what we do know about registering for vaccination. So I would like to welcome back two of our core POP-AB team members. Um, Dr. Lada, who is a pediatrician with a master of public and a master of public health, as well as Sarah Mackey from the Alberta Vax Hunters. Thank you all so very much for being with us today as we talk about what is hopefully some exciting times going forward for our not so tiny, tiny humans. Um, I'd like to start things off with a couple of questions that we've been receiving online over the last few days. A number of people had wondered about whether or not the tiny humans will also be able to get the flu shot at the same time as the COVID vaccine. Anybody know? They will. They actually shifted the recommendations on that a couple of months ago. Um, what you may run into is that for a long time, <clears throat> excuse me, the recommendation was to wait 14 days before and after the COVID mm -hmm. shot before getting other vaccines. So you may be finding, especially in pharmacies, that not everybody has gotten that updated information, but it is available um, through the Alberta Health Vaccine FAQ information and everything online. You can find it there so you can get them simultaneously. And actually, you can book both at the same time in the same clinic if you want. And two shots, no waiting. And Dr. Lada, from a medical perspective, has are you aware of any positives, negatives, indifferences in terms of if you are a parent of a five to 11 year old choosing to wait to get your flu shot until they also have access to the COVID-19 vaccine? Is that positive choice right now? I don't know what flu is like in kids this year. Mm -hmm. I, I would uh, recommend getting the flu shot as soon as possible. Um, we're seeing a huge increase in respiratory illness and, and a lot of children hospitalized with respiratory illnesses. So um, with uh, breathing troubles and pneumonias and um, needing oxygen. And um, there are a handful that are COVID, but then there are many, many more that are other viruses. And so um, as soon as you get a chance to um, get your children the influenza vaccine, I would do so. I wouldn't wait uh, until we're well into flu season before doing that. Um, and you can book um, for children under five, the influenza vaccine on the AHS website, and you can add family members to that. So so that if you're taking your um, under five-year-old in for an influenza vaccine, you can get the shot yourself while you're there. I'd also add to that that the advantage of doing the flu shots now that they're available is you can figure out the registration system now, go in, do set everybody up with the, the, the pre-registration for the vaccine booking system, get everybody their flu shots as a side bonus, and then be totally ready for the day that they do make kids eligible, and then you will know how the process works for booking COVID vaccines, which I suspect will be a little more popular than booking flu shots. As a sort of generalized question for everybody on the panel, what do we know right now about the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine in tiny humans? So sort of that brief overall, what do we know? It's really good news. Um, so the trial data, which enrolled uh, over 2,000 children um, in, the, in the first part, um, showed over 90% efficacy. So about 91% efficacy against COVID-19 infection, which is really positive. Um, and it didn't reveal any serious side effects at the three month mark. Um, and so that's really great data. We also know um, that the FDA has, the advisory group to the FDA has reviewed this and has recommended that children um, five to 11 get the vaccine, that this vaccine be approved for that age group. Um, and so we, we also know that the risk benefit profile really favors um, giving children in that age group the vaccine versus allowing them to be infected with COVID-19. They also, with the 3,109 kids got um, the vaccine versus the placebo in those two um, stages of the trials, um, there were no adverse effects that were determined to be associated with the vaccine in that age group. There were five adverse effects that were determined to be unrelated to the vaccine in those kids. Um, one of those five was a child swallowing a penny, 
Um, and so they were able to determine that was unrelated to the vaccine. Um, so they had no serious adverse effects in the entire trial with any of the kids five to 11. Um, and I think overall the side effects from the uh, five to 11 year olds were actually quite a lot lower than in the older groups, um, in part, I believe, because the dosage is lower. And I think it's uh, I think it's important for us to talk about that risk of myocarditis that we did see um, with some teenagers, and I think a lot of parents may have some concerns about that. And it's um, you know we didn't see that occur within this group, and it is a small group. And the incidence of myocarditis with the COVID vaccine in the older age group was about one in ten thousand to one in fifty thousand. So we wouldn't have necessarily expected to pick it up in this um, trial size. But what's really important is that um, the risk of getting myocarditis in a child who actually gets COVID-19 is about five to six times higher um, than in those that simply get the vaccine. Also, children that get myocarditis from the COVID vaccine, so myocarditis being heart inflammation, um, it tends to be a very mild course that can be treated with anti-inflammatories and they make a full recovery. Whereas those children that get COVID-19 and then go on to get myocarditis or inflammation of other organs often have a much more severe illness and about a third of them end up needing um, ICU care. Um, the other thing is that it was found that uh, children that were older age teenagers, so 16 to 19, and males were more likely to get that myocarditis side effect. So with this younger age group, um, we actually expect that fewer will get myocarditis, if any, and as Sarah mentioned, the dose is lower. So we also expect fewer side effects because of that. Are there any jurisdictions that have been um, vaccinating their 5 to 11-year-olds globally outside of those that were vaccinated in the trials? I think Israel and Cuba um, are the two that did some um, sort of broader scale vaccination. Israel, I believe, did high-risk kids. Um, Cuba went as low as two, if I recall correctly, but they were using, I believe, a different vaccine there. Um, but they have not seen, to my knowledge, any significant um, side effects or any um, adverse effects in the kids in Israel that they did. They did five to 11 year olds with severe um, background illnesses, I believe they call them, and to try to protect those kids who are at higher risk of COVID. Which actually leads beautifully into another question that we received online. Um, people just sort of asking for all of your guys' generalized opinion on whether or not the tiny human vaccinations should be sort of categorized and prioritized similar to how they were with the adults. So those with pre-existing conditions or those that might be at higher risk of severe outcomes, or should it just be wide open, whoever can make it in, we will dose. Does anyone have any thoughts on that? The main reason that we prioritize people in the winter and the spring by sort of risk factor was um, supply. And according to the federal government and Pfizer, we've ordered enough that I believe our first delivery is going to be enough to cover every single five to 11 year old in Alberta with our first delivery. And I looked up our numbers um, of how many five to 11 year olds we have and how many, like what our fastest ever vaccination pace was. If we vaccinate kids at our fastest ever pace, which obviously we're not gonna do, but if we did, it would take us less than five days to vaccinate all of the eligible kids. So I don't know if we need to be um, sort of prioritizing in the same way that we did with the earlier groups, in part just because it's a smaller group of people that's gonna be eligible, in part just because if we do get that supply right away, we don't really need to. But part of what's gonna determine how fast we can vaccinate kids is whether we're gonna be doing kids at pharmacies in all of the places that are doing vaccines for adults or if they're only gonna be doing those at the AHS clinics. And that is one of the questions we do not yet have an answer to. Dr. Lada, um, if, if you have an answer, um, and or Sarah, and or Dr. Lee, based on sort of the timeline that it took previously for Health Canada to approve vaccination in adults. And bearing in mind sort that the premier has or the prime minister has made it clear that we're going to we're going to spend extra time before um, Health Canada approves vaccination in the tiny humans. 
what do you think the imaginary timeline might look like? I have an idea of a hopeful timeline. I mean, I hope that uh, it happens um, in November or, or December, but I, and that's just based on knowing that the FDA will likely approve the Pfizer vaccine for the 5 to 11 age group within the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, and uh, the hope is that Health Canada will do it soon after, but I, I defer to, to Sarah and Dr. Lee in case they have better information. We've heard every timeline under the sun and like I've heard four different um, inside sources in the last like 24 hours with a different date. So I've sort of given up on predicting. If I was predicting on uh, precedent and what I do know about like hard dates that we've gotten, I think we're probably about two weeks behind the states um, in terms of when Pfizer submitted their full data to Health Canada. We were a couple of weeks behind. It might even have been three weeks. Um, I would like someone to be asking some questions, not about whether we are, I don't want to cut any corners. Obviously, I want them to do the full review. I would like to know, um, I believe with the spring approvals, there was sort of a urgency clause for Health Canada where they were like, all overtime will be approved. We will work around the clock on this if we have to. This is an urgent priority and everything else is being deprioritized. And I would really love to see an announcement from them if they are similarly prioritizing this, um, especially with sort of cabinet shuffle and everything happening there. We don't, I don't know if anyone's putting that pressure on them and saying, yeah, here's some money, pay some overtime to your reviewers to make sure that that data gets reviewed as quickly as possible. Um, because with 12 to 15 year olds, we actually got to it ahead of the US and we are clearly gonna be behind them on these five to 11 year olds. And I don't know if that is because they're doing a more thorough review, if it's just because Pfizer submitted that data later, or if it's because there's not that same urgency of like, this is an emergency, we've got to get this out as fast as possible, um, you know, throw money at the problem sort of solution. So if anyone is watching who can throw money at this problem, I would encourage you to do so. And I would add too, I hope that our province has rolled out their infrastructure or will roll out their infrastructure in terms of access. Uh, in previous vaccine rollouts, we've seen some uh, technological barriers uh, and we know, know in this province that there are still barriers for grown-ups um, accessing the vaccine that we are still working on uh, to get the percentage of double doses up. So all of those questions I would apply as well to the children's vaccine, 511. Uh, just making sure, because we know that with children, there can be more questions uh, since they're they're smaller. And we've seen um, just a broader scope of uh, concerns relating to the younger age group. And this is just education related. And I hope that in policy uh, with legislature sitting to that there's more pressure to be on the ball once it does receive approval. Uh, so that we can reach those communities and those pockets um, throughout Alberta. And um, so we can make sure that kids everywhere in Alberta can access it. I think too, like the difference, it's a matter, it's going to be a matter of weeks, like in the possible timelines of where we're going to end up. But what those weeks mean are potentially the difference between a Christmas, a vaccinated Christmas for kids and an unvaccinated Christmas for kids. Mm -hmm. And that's going to have an enormous impact on what our overall numbers look like federally um, in January. You know, if we are looking at a situation where the, the majority of kids are vaccinated, fully vaccinated by Christmas, then that completely changes what, we, what we're going to see sort of over the holidays if, when people, we know people are going to be gathering with friends and family. Um, we don't, that, one of the other things we don't know, there's a lot we don't know in addition to what we do know. We don't know what the recommended um, gap between doses is going to be for kids. Um, I know that the, there's different recommendations now, you know, here's the ideal situation, but if you're in an area with a lot of COVID spread, you may want to get your second dose sooner. We don't know yet what they're going to recommend for first and second doses. We don't know when the second delivery is likely to come for second doses, but if it were to be four weeks, the same as, um, what the adults were doing for second dose sort of minimum, November 13th, I believe, is the date we need kids to get their first shot to be able to be fully vaccinated by Christmas, including two weeks after their second shot. But even just if we can get them their first shot by Christmas, that's just going to make such a difference in what the numbers do um, in the new year. Yeah, absolutely. And it could make a difference between 
um, you know, a tiny little fifth wave and a, and a really large fifth wave because we know that um, children transmit COVID and they get COVID. And, um, and it, it's also, um, it's a real beacon of hope for children to get back to normalcy. And I think um, they've borne such a burden during this pandemic. And, um, you know, once families and caregivers uh, can feel that their children are safer um, and also not likely to transmit to those that are more vulnerable, they'll be able to go back to those extracurricular activities and play dates and things that they may have been deprived of for so long because of the pandemic. If anyone knows in the trials and or in Israel, what was the dosing schedule that they used. And we did also receive some questions around whether or not anyone knew sort of what that efficacy threshold was after just the first dose in case we did sort of end up in that situation where, you know, first doses were rolling out in December and second doses weren't rolling out until January timeline. I know in the Pfizer trial, um, they used a uh, three week um, for the first and second dose. Um, but I'm not sure about the uh, efficacy after a first dose. I think also there's some question about, um, like we have not been using Pfizer's recommended dose interval at any point in Alberta. Um, so, you know, they recommend, their, their recommended dosage schedule is not what we've been using. I think it's NACI that now recommends eight weeks between doses, which as far as I know is still not Pfizer's recommendation for adults. Um, in the summer, when we finally got into that, like everybody can get vaccinated when they want, um, we were using four weeks between doses for adults. And then I think they pulled back a little bit once more of the research came in saying that the, the larger interval was more effective. So I'll be interested to see, you know, there's sort of, here's what Pfizer recommends. Health Canada may come out with a recommendation. NACI may have another recommendation. And then the province can basically then choose another dosage interval, depending on all of the various options. So that's another sort of variable in what we don't know about the timelines here. Do we know anything about whether or not they have kept the sensory friendly clinics for adults and whether or not there will be sensory friendly clinics for tiny humans? We heard from a number of parents, particularly those who have children on the autism spectrum that were concerned about trying to create a brave, safe space for their kids to feel secure in their vaccination. That yet again, is a thing that we are asking about. We're trying to get more information about that. Um, I know the city of Toronto has put out a plan where they've said they're basically scrapping their entire adult vaccination structure for kids and going to smaller, less intimidating, not in like a hockey rink full of terrified children getting your vaccination. Um, we haven't heard yet what the plan is in Alberta for that. We don't know if they'll be doing pharmacies. We don't know if it'll just be the mass clinic, same setup, or it'll be the combo. We haven't heard yet if they're planning to do schools for five to 11. Um, and we don't know what role um, kids' doctors are going to play in it. Um, Dr. Lada, I don't know if you've heard anything on that front in your office about whether they're going to be allowing pediatricians to administer the vaccine. But we have been pushing the government hard to like make a plan around this and have a different strategy in place for kids, especially the, the younger ones or the ones who need the sensory-friendly spaces, just to make sure that there is accessible options. But I would love to hear if you've heard anything, Dr. Lada, on that. We haven't, from a pediatric perspective, had any guidance about administering the COVID vaccine to children. And uh, there are some um, clinics that are administering the influenza vaccine for children. Our clinic isn't one of them, um, but it seems like they're hard to come by. So um, even with the influenza vaccine, it seems like the most common method of administration is in those um, large centers or public health centers um, or pharmacies, of course, for influenza. And I think this really speaks to the equity issue that um, Dr. Lee brought up as well, is that we want to make sure we're reaching all children, um, regardless of their uh, backgrounds, their socioeconomic circumstances, um, and schools is a really good way to do that. And then for um, children that may have um, developmental disorders or um, other issues, um, certainly a doctor's office with a physician that they trust or nurses that they trust could be a really good way to administer those vaccines um, to children that are fearful um, or, or maybe neurodivergent. So um, I think there's a lot of considerations that 
uh, really need to be thought about quickly uh, before the vaccine is, is approved so that we can get it, uh, get the vaccine into as many arms as possible. Um, and for there not to be those same barriers that we've experienced with adults. Yeah, I took my kids to get their flu shots uh, two weeks ago now, last week. I don't know, time's lost all meaning. Um, and my younger daughter is four, so we couldn't go to a pharmacy because she's not old enough yet for a pharmacy. And we pre-registered, we did the whole thing. There was a whole snafu with her pre-registration, but they've sorted that out now with the under fives. So we showed up at our clinic for the time and we, I filled out all my information in this pre-registration. And then there was no line when we got there, which was great. But then we got up to the person with the computer. She took our IDs, she took her healthcare cards. She typed in our, all of our personal information four separate times into her computer, confirmed all of it one piece at a time with us confirmed our relationship to both kids for each of us adults individually. So four times she had to check their relationship. Then she took all that information and copied it onto a paper form. And she handed us the paper form, which we then took to our cubicle to get our flu shots, handed it to the nurse who then took the form and typed the information into her computer. And my kids are neurotypical. They are, I bribe them for shots. So they're pretty tolerant of, you know, going to get their shot because they know they're going to get to get a treat afterwards. Um, and I stood there thinking if my kids were bolters or screamers or panickers about vaccination, this would be a nightmare. Like we stood there watching them fill out this paperwork for about 15 minutes. I don't blame, you know, the nurses for this, it's not their fault. They didn't create the system, but I just stood there thinking if this is what they're going to do for COVID shots for this many kids all at once, this is going to be a nightmare of like screaming children having meltdowns. So I'm really hoping that they have a plan in place to streamline like diversify where they offer them what's available where you can get them because like I have the easiest possible young kids to take for shots and that was still like just agonizingly slow and inefficient on that note um a lot of the folks who watch at home are really really strong advocates if people are concerned about how this rollout might go um, and concerned about things like sensory awareness, concerned about um, speed, who are some really good public officials to be writing and asking for a plan to be released before the day before? Um, because that's or two days after something starts sometimes. I think the health minister is the primary person who's going to be sort of managing this process. Um, I know there's like the vaccine task force and other groups like that, but in terms of public figures, I imagine that Minister Copping's office is the most direct place to go to sort of advocate for, hey, what's your plan? Have you thought about this? Especially if you have kids um, who, for whom waiting in a long line and filling out paperwork in triplicate and doing that whole process is gonna be a barrier to vaccination. Um, I would invite you, yeah, to contact uh, Mr. Coffin's office. They've been pretty responsive, um, I will say. You know, compared to our experiences working with Minister Shandro, we have found Minister Coffin's office to be pretty responsive to feedback, um, much more so than the previous um, setup in that office. So they've been pretty willing to listen and hear perspectives. And I know they are working on the plan right now. And so hearing from parents who are sort of anticipating what their situation might look like, hope I hope that they would. Um, at least take that feedback and incorporate it. And we're advocating with them behind the scenes as well and doing what we can. But yeah, just reaching out and asking them to make sure that they're considering all of the different possible circumstances that could be happening in this rollout, I think would be a good idea. I agree. And, and the, now is the time to be doing it in the in the weeks leading up. Um, and I also think it's always a value to contact your own MLA um, that, that's representing you and, and expressing your concerns and, and phone call is always best, but otherwise an email. Um, I think that, that that can go a long way. Dr. Lee, this question might be geared towards you. I received um, an anonymous question from a parent um, who has children that are at one of the two Alberta-designated um, outbreak schools, so with over 10 active cases. Um, and they had mentioned that contact tracing seems very 
very, very slow still, even though there were supposed to be some scaling up of that, particularly with the schools and the tiny humans. Um, they had really felt that if it weren't for so many parents doing self-disclosures in their school, that they would really be unaware of the amount of kids in their tiny humans class who had tested positive for COVID-19. Um, it sounded sort of for their notification process on average, parents were reporting the next day and it was taking a week to a week and a half um, for a letter to come from AHS following up on those reported cases. Um, is have you heard that this is happening more frequently in those larger outbreaks, or is this seem to be an ongoing problem throughout the province? This is an ongoing problem that we have seen in more than one zone. So we know that contact tracing is not up to the standard um, of in previous waves. Uh, for schools, we're still seeing self-reports. Uh, mixed in with AHS notifications to the schools. So what we need to remember is that the government took a few weeks for their own contact tracing to step into schools. We haven't seen that fully reinstated yet. We're still seeing disclosure, voluntary disclosure by parents. And what that means is that they received a positive test for their child. They decided to disclose to the school and so it's still schools doing a lot of the notification uh, if AHS has not been the first to notify them. And in that, we are going to see inconsistency in notification time because obviously you're having educators uh, do the work of public health for the most part still uh, in, in all five zones. So it's not that AHS isn't helping. I think they just don't have enough contact tracers uh, set up yet. Uh, and as well, we're still, maybe the caseload was higher than they anticipated in schools. And so it's going to take some time uh, to have that full support from public health. But uh, yeah, it's still educators doing no notifications. So when there's a larger outbreak, they will be doing the phones uh, on top of the email to make sure that the notice gets out. And of course, we know phone calls take longer than an email, but they want to be thorough. And this will be done on their own time uh, outside of school. So there is going to be inconsistency. And what we really need was, what we needed uh, was contact tracing coming back up in September. And so this is the fallout from that. I know this week, Minister LaGrange had spoke around the fact that no schools have had to go online this year um, and seemed to be quite proudly cheerleading that. Um, but I heard from a lot of parents over the last 48 hours about how their school might not be online, but three or four classes are, or 60% of them are. And so I think that there was a little bit of understandable hurt um, around this schools are not going online when it's sounded like a fair number of classes have been. Is that happening sort of throughout the province or is that just isolated to the folks who reached out to us? I don't think that's isolated. We've seen this happen previously when schools weren't online, but it's mostly empty. So every school needs to be granted permission if their entire population is moving online. And sometimes that permission is not granted. They kind of have to make the case that the situation is dire. And maybe from a political point of view, it doesn't look good, right? To have the school officially online. But in practice on the ground, you have empty classrooms. Uh, a large population are absent and doing online learning. And this is not new to this wave, but because they've moved, they keep moving the goalposts of what they will permit as a serious circumstance, we aren't going to see as many entire schools uh, go online because obviously it signals <laughs> grave is happening. But we do have classes online right now and large populations were absent this year from the school, uh, from the schools uh, across the province. So this comes down to semantics. Uh, we have still lots of students that are learning uh, from home uh, and 
ultimately that's going to result in more disruption if not already, right? This is, could be their fifth or sixth uh, moving online in the past couple of years uh, combined. So no, not at, all is not well. Uh, and this year there have been uh, schools, especially one in Edmonton uh, that went online and some in central zone that the entire uh, school building uh, had to move remotely. So we're not in the clear yet. And because of the definitions that keep changing, there may be different ways that the government's capt capturing the information uh, and giving that out to the public. But of course, it, it comes down to what gets out there and what gets reported. Our final question, I think, before we move on to talking a little bit about the registration process and some of the things that parents can pre-get ready. Um, Sarah, you had mentioned that our fastest tiny human vaccine rollout in the province had been five days. So one, I guess I would love to know what you know about how that happened. Combined with Dr. Lada and Dr. Lee, what you think sort of the ideal scenario, if we if we were making the pitch to Minister Copping about what this could look like to get everybody dose one in quick order and to keep all of our tiny humans feeling safe and supported in the process, what are some thoughts around what would be the ideal rollout scenario? Um, just to clarify the five days thing, that's not a previous vaccination campaign. That's the fastest we vaccinated in a day um, for the COVID vaccines, like our peak vaccination pace. If we vaccinated kids at that pace, we could do it in five days with the number of kids we have. Um, so I think that was June maybe, and it was when eligibility was wide open, supply was plentiful. Um, and we were kind of running on all cylinders at that point with every possible scenario available for vaccination. Um, and that's what I would love to see for this is like, let's use every possible place that we could be vaccinating kids as a place to vaccinate kids. You know, if that's um, schools, obviously is a, is a good one. I know there are some parents who won't want to get their kids vaccinated at schools. You know, um, if your kid is the aforementioned bolter, you're not going to want to send them off, your kindergartner off into the gym to uh, wish them the nurse luck. You know, if you've got your tips and tricks that work at home, you're probably going to be more likely to want to take them yourself. But as Dr. Lada spoke of earlier, um, you know, we need to make sure that schools are an option just because it is the most accessible option for the, for the vast number of kids in this province. And so making schools one of the available options, um, pharmacies, a lot of kids, you know, will be familiar with their local pharmacy or pharmacy in their grocery store or whatever. Those can often be less of a stressful environment for kids because it's not typically thousands of kids getting vaccinated and screaming all at the same time. Um, I would love to see them roll out every mobile vaccination option that we have used at any point in this province and just throw them all around the province. And like, what can we do with partnerships with ice cream trucks? Like, can we have the Vax bus roll up with the ice cream truck playing its little song behind it and everybody gets a free ice cream? I don't know. Like, let's think, I guess it's gonna be November by the time we're doing it. So maybe ice cream is less appealing. Can we put something warm in the ice cream truck? But just thinking creatively about the least stressful, most accessible options, just blanketing the province so that you can get a vaccine, your kids can get vaccinated like literally anywhere and like just go for it with every option that's available to us. So we can just do it as fast as possible. Yeah, I would agree. We need to have this sort of no holds barred, no stones unturned, uh, like truly uh, effort because we know this is, one of the last populations uh, and we are racing against time here with other variants swirling about and we're opening our borders. So some other suggestions I would have is go where the children are. Uh, we've always been advocates that schools are community hubs and we've become reliant on schools for many needs uh, above education and academics. So the in-school clinics have been important for the older children, uh, age 12 to 16 or higher in high school, because that's where they spend most of their time. And for parents that don't have vehicles uh, or they're 
they're at work dur um, during the off hours. I think the in-school clinics or even uh, the play local playgrounds, we can do something where it's just an easy outreach. And it's really about making sure that we're getting everywhere where the children are already, uh, because we know that we need to make it not difficult for parents that are already juggling uh, the 21st, 22nd month of a pandemic as well. And we know lots of parents will be eager, but again, it's an equity issue and we need to get creative this time around uh, because this is going to be our chance to, you know, return to some semblance of normalcy for the children. I wish uh, Sarah and Dr. Lee were in charge of this rollout because I think we would get so many children immunized so quickly. Um, but I, I love the creative ideas, the innovation. Um, I agree, I think, um, as, as many different spaces as possible. I think uh, physicians' offices are important too because I think while we roll out the vaccine um, and distribute it, and Dr. Lee spoke to this earlier, we also need to be rolling out those educational resources, the engagement, the support, answering the questions that parents and caregivers have at the same time, um, because there there is um, you know uh, fear around the vaccine, and we've heard that before in adults. And um, of course, uh, as a pediatrician, I follow the science, and I say that the data is robust. Um, the COVID vaccine trial um, in children certainly shows good results, 91% uh, efficacy, no serious side effects. And so the, the small risks certainly outweigh the benefit uh, benefits. Um, so, sorry, the benefits outweigh the risks. And so I certainly um, speak from that perspective, but, but as a mother, I know each parent um, and caregiver just wants to do what's best for their child. And so there are going to be questions. And um, if we can be giving those vaccines in a primary care practitioner's office, where there is that support to answer those questions, I think that's imperative. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to touch on is, is really the urgency of children getting this vaccine. And um, as we've seen in Alberta, we tend to have the highest transmission rates in the country. Um, and at high transmission rates, children are at highest risk of, of acquiring COVID-19. And during this fourth wave, we've seen the most number of children hospitalized uh, than in any other previous wave. And so if there were any time um, that this vaccine was needed the most, it's now. Um, and, and that's to really prevent those serious complications like MIS-C, um, so severe inflammation of organs or, or um, long COVID or hospitalization in children. Um, so I think there's really this urgency of getting those, those shots into arms. And uh, Sarah and, and Dr. Lee have outlined a number of amazing ways that we could do that effectively and efficiently. To that education piece too, um, one thing um, Janeo, one of the other VAC centers caught today is um, Sturgeon Schools announced that they are doing an online education session in partnership with AHS to talk to parents and answer their questions about the vaccine and explicitly talk about kids getting vaccinated. If you are a new or returning school board trustee who's like looking for something to, you know, sink your teeth into as you get used to a new job, find out what Sturgeon Schools is doing to make that happen and get those rolling in every school district in the province. Um, that's such a smart way to do it. What I would love to see, hopefully, I think it's end of November that they're doing this, hopefully kids can get vaccinated by then. What I would love to see is these information sessions through the school boards where people are going to, you know, already be used to getting information from them. And then follow that, you know, the next couple of days with in-school vaccination clinics and make those in-school vaccination clinics go into the evenings in the schools. If you've already got nurses out in the schools, keep them there for the after-school hours for a couple of hours into the evening so that parents who don't want to send their kids in to get vaccinated without them there, for whatever reasons, they can still get vaccinated at school, but their parents can go in with them and just figure out a way to sort of combine a community clinic with the in-school vaccination programs and in conjunction with this kind of education outreach that um, Sturgeon has got up and running. I just thought that was great. We should see that in every school district in the province is just let's have an info session to answer those questions and have a professional available to sort of combat that misinformation and, and address the hesitancy that people have. And it's fair to have plenty of vaccine hesitancy um, with a new vaccine, but everything that we know from the data and the studies and everything we've seen um, we should be able to address those concerns and get those kids vaccinated. And so working with schools wherever we can to do that, I think is gonna be a fantastic opportunity to do that. 
another advocacy piece for folks at home. Talk to your school board trustees, new, newly elected or newly reelected, um, and ask them what their role could be in helping keep all of our tiny humans safe. They definitely are the group who has suffered the longest and the often the hardest during all of this. And it would just be so fantastic to see 2022 start off with more extracurricular activities, um, regular in-person schooling, um, while at the same time keeping our entire community safe and our hospitalization numbers much lower, ideally, than they are right now. <laughs> Um, does anyone have any final thoughts? I guess I'm looking to Dr. Lada and um, Dr. Lee before I ask Sarah to talk us through a little bit of the pre-registration process. Yeah, one thing I would reiterate is that we need to continue a few more weeks of being vigilant and hopefully that this government won't... Uh, you know, open things too soon. I was nervous today when the government presser said supports after the pandemic, uh, because we're not after yet. Uh, we're still very much during uh, in it. So we need both things, uh, vaccination and as well as reasonable measures so that we give time for every child uh, to receive the vaccination as well as continue to advocate for safe measures for the long-term. Uh, because as Dr. Ladha mentioned is that we've seen an influx of other respiratory illnesses and making schools safe isn't just COVID specific. Uh, it would benefit uh, in the long run as well. So the advocacy didn't stop here. Yeah, and I think if I can just reiterate because um, my, my toddler was screaming before and I got distracted, but I meant to say, the benefits of the vaccine outweigh the risks, and um, and I, you know, from a from a pediatrics and um, a parental perspective, I will get my children immunized as soon as the immunization is available, um, because I believe that the science shows that it's safe. Um, so I just want to provide that reassurance, um, and I really encourage parents and caregivers to reach out, reach out to your primary care practitioners, your public health nurses, um, trusted sources of medical information and science in your community if you have hesitations or questions around the COVID vaccine for your children, and, and don't rely on um, what you can find on the internet because you can find pretty much anything on the internet. Um, so I think really um, look for those trusted sources um, and know that the, the data is good, um, that the trials were robust and the safety data looks really good um, and that I am seeing an increase in um, COVID in my patients in clinic. Um, we are seeing an increase in pediatric hospitalizations with COVID-19 um, and so it's, it's time. It's time as soon as it's available to immunize our children against COVID-19. Thank you so much, Dr. Lara and Dr. Lee. You are welcome to stay with us, but just in case you need to go tend to other life events, Sarah, talk to me. I would have been lost when I had to register for my third dose. I was not expecting the registration system to exist. My dose one and dose two had been me hopping on the computer and being like, yes, I'm eligible. And then being like, click a box and we will let you know how or when, where you get to be. For my third dose, it was different. And my understanding based on Dr. Hinshaw's pressers is that it is also going to be different for your tiny humans. So what do we know about that process and how can we best prepare to get those shots into our tiny humans' arms as soon as they're available. Yeah, so if you booked um, sort of when you were at first eligible for your COVID vaccines, um, the system has changed since then. They finally launched the central booking system where you can see all of your available options, both pharmacies and AHS clinics all in one place, um, which has its advantages and its disadvantages. Um, they have ironed out a reasonable number of the bugs. It's much improved from when it first launched. Um, but one thing that they've done now that's really helpful that I would recommend all parents of really any children at this point do um, is pre-register through the booking system. 
Um, what that will do is sometimes there's a delay in getting your registration confirmed. Sometimes there's a glitch. You wanna make sure that they're in the system because once they're in the system, you can book them right away through the central booking system once they are eligible. Um, so you just go to bookvaccine.alberta.ca to do this, um, and then it'll ask you to register. Um, you need your their first name, last name, sex, date of birth, um, where your health card was issued and your health card number, address, postal code, province, and all of that. Um, if you are not, if you don't have an Alberta healthcare card, um, if you are a resident from else, or if you if you have a healthcare card from elsewhere in Canada, you can register with that through the booking system. If you do not have any sort of um, healthcare card of any kind, you have to book through 811 um, currently. So that's a thing to be aware of if you are someone who is a, temporarily in Alberta and you don't have a healthcare card for your kids. Um, so once you are pre-registered, um, they're now using the same system for the flu shot and the COVID vaccine, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so you can test it out by booking a flu shot and getting a flu shot. Um, and that sort of shows you how the system works. One, a couple things to be aware of. Um, you can put in your postal code when you're scheduling your appointment and how far you're willing to travel um, for to get your shot. And then it'll show you um, the various options that are available nearby. And then um, one thing that we keep asking them to implement that they haven't done yet I don't care where I go. I want the soonest possible appointment, not the closest possible appointment, but you can't currently sort by who's got the earliest date. So you kind of have to click through to see who's got what available when. Um, so I just pulled up my house um, and there are, I chose a 10 kilometer radius to my house and there are 119 places for me to choose from. So I really can go to a lot of places um, to get my shot if I wanted to get one. Um, so what you can do is sort of figure out what your options are going to be. As I said earlier, we don't know yet if pharmacies are going to be included in this um, rollout for the five to 11 year olds. There's also some pharmacies that aren't participating in the um, central booking system. They're just handling everything in-house. So if you have a pharmacist you really love or a pharmacist your kid knows and is comfortable with, or you know, if you know that you there's a pharmacy that you want to go to that's really convenient, check in with them and see if they're participating in the central booking system. Um, because there are still some pharmacies where you just call them directly or use their booking system. So just figuring out where you're likely to want to go for your vaccine and how you're going to want to get it um, is a good thing to do now, just so you know how the process works. But I really do recommend um, pre-registering all of your kids through the system because then you can just log in once they're eligible and you're not trying to figure out how the system works. So I could have my choice. There's a pharmacy about 10 blocks from my house that has appointments tomorrow. I could book a COVID vaccine and go get ice cream across the street because I happen to know that my kid's favorite ice cream shop is next to that pharmacy. Um, so just, you can log in now, you can create their accounts now, set them up, get them registered, book their flu shots, and then just like poke around the system to sort of figure out how it works. And that will help you feel a little less overwhelmed, I think, when you and however many other hundreds of thousands of parents are all booking simultaneously, which I imagine is going to be some enthusiasm from that audience once those are finally available. Um, myself included, I will definitely be taking my older daughter to get vaccinated the hot minute she is eligible. Um, but that does remind me about the other thing that we don't, big question mark that we have right now about the rollout in Alberta. Um, all previous eligibility shifts have been done by year of birth. So everybody has become eligible the year that they turn whatever age has just become eligible. So anyone who turns 12 at any point in this year could already get vaccinated. We haven't confirmed yet if they are following that method for the five to 11 year olds yet. Um, I have a very vested interest in the answer to this question as does the rest of the Vax Hunters team. Just by sheer coincidence, all three of us have 2017 born uh, babies. So they will either be eligible January 1st as, as turning five-year-olds or on their birthdays throughout the year. So that's another big question mark that we have about is every kid who turns five this year gonna be eligible or are they gonna be eligible on their birthday and who will be eligible on January 1st if they have not approved the younger age groups yet. So we're waiting to hear the information on that as well, just to see which group of kids they're gonna start with, if they're gonna do, um, year of birth or date of birth for that. So that's another sort of outstanding question, but you can pre-register every kid in your household, no matter how young they are um, in the system, and then booking will be much easier.
once you get to that point. And they've got a pretty good help desk set up now. Um, if you have any problems with your registration, there's the bookvaccine.alberta.ca has a troubleshooting system that's actually working pretty well. One follow-up question on that. So when I registered for my third dose, I had to wait for them to text me a code, even though I was within the eligibility window. And that code took maybe 48 hours or so to, to get to me. And then once I had this magic code, I could go back into the system, enter in the magic code, and then it gave me those options of places that were distributing vaccination around where I reside. And so is that magic code still part of this current registration system? Yeah, that's why we recommend the pre-registration. Um, they have quite significantly sped up um, the processing time for getting those confirmation codes out. Um, but if you don't have an Alberta healthcare card, that's a whole other process that takes a lot longer. Um, but the, they do still send out that registration confirmation number and sometimes it's not immediate. Um, with my four-year-old, there was a glitch with hers and we didn't get it. And that was a whole thing that I had to sort out with them. Um, so that's, that's the main reason that we recommend just pre-booking, like pre-registering now, you don't have to do anything. If you've already gotten your flu shots or whatever, you can still pre-register and just set them up in the system. And then that way, if they have any trouble with getting that confirmation um, code, you can sort it out now when you are not stressed out and when 811 does not have a seven hour wait to talk to a person to fix your code problem, just do it now, just pre-register. There's no downside, save it the, you'll get, you can get an email or a text notification and just save that information somewhere where you will find it easily later and don't add that to your plate on the day that kids become eligible because that's gonna be a busy day on the internet. Thank you so very much, um, both and Dr. Lee as well, um, for joining us today. We will see you all next Wednesday at 4 p.m. to talk about preventing the fifth wave in Alberta, because we can if we choose to. So until next time, stay safe, Alberta. As always, remember COVID-19 is airborne, wear the best mask you have access to, and vaccines really do save lives.